0: Fans and welcome to another episode of the Bulls HQ Podcast. My name is Mark, here to wrap up the the 2017 NBA draft and what a weird, strange whirlwind of a draft it was for Bulls fans all over. Uh, it was, it was kind of crazy. To be honest with you, I, I almost lost track of how the, the draft transpired because I was in a bit of a shock that the Bulls made the trade for Jimmy Butler. Obviously, if you're listening to this now, you're well aware that the Bulls have made... The, tri- the trade of Jimmy Butler on draft day and yeah as I said it was, I was quite in shock and, and I, I sort of forgot to follow the draft and how that was actually happening because pretty much as the, the first pick was getting announced the Bulls or Mark Stein it was I think that dropped the news that the Bulls and Timberwolves had pretty much engaged in, in trade talks and were finalizing a deal to send Jimmy Butler to Minnesota and A few moments later on, Casey Johnson came through on Twitter and essentially confirmed the deal. So, yeah, I was pretty shocked to see that the Bulls actually made this deal based on what they had said in the past. It sounded like their their asking price for Jimmy Butler was pretty high and given their history of not really making a lot of trades, I just assumed that they wouldn't be making any trade and that Butler would be coming back next season. But, yeah, they made the deal. They definitely surprised me there and obviously the Bulls sending Jimmy Butler to Minnesota along with Pick 16 in return, receiving Zach Levine, Chris Dunn, and Pick 7. And using, using Pick 7 later on in the draft, the Bulls selected Lowry Marketing. So that's essentially the components of the draft and... Uh, sorry, the components of the trade, which at the moment, I'm not feeling too positively about it. And if I think about the reactions that I saw online, at least... Um, from the fan base, I think the majority would be agreeing with me that this trade was a pretty poor trade in terms of value back for Jimmy Butler. I don't think, one, many people were expecting the Bulls to actually do the deal for Butler. And if they were, I think most had most had higher, higher expectations in terms of what Jimmy Butler would be receiving in the deal. So, yeah, kind of shocked that the deal went, went forward and, and was definitely angry when I saw the return. And I've had around 24, 24, 30 30 hours or so to sort of think about the deal now and I've calmed down a little bit and thought I'd better record a podcast about it and um, I've been on a couple podcasts actually the last 24 hours ranting about the deal but still feel the need to talk about it so it's still still on front of mind. So uh, yeah, I thought I'd share with you my thoughts on the the entire deal as well as taking you through a bit of a scouting report on Larry Markkinen and... Talking about what the Bulls have to do going forward now that they're fully commenced to rebuild and it's, it's clear that they won't be building around Jimmy Butler. So yeah, hu- huge day for the front, for the front office as well as the franchise on the draft on draft night rather. And we'll see how this front office can lead the Bulls into a rebuild, a rebuilding period. It's going to be an interesting three to five years and fingers crossed they uh Fingers crossed they nail it because uh, they've definitely put a, a mark on their backs now. This is a huge trade, and it's a pretty ballsy trade, to be honest with you. Whenever a front office deals away their best player, pretty much their only player on the roster that was worth a damn, it's it's a, it's a huge move. It's a risky move, and it's one they're going to have to make sure that they nail. So it'll be interesting to see how Garth Foreman and John Paxton sort of navigate through this period in time. But... Um, Let's start with the the, the trade itself and and, and thinking about the value of the deal. Personally, I thought this was a bad trade. I I didn't like the return for Jimmy Butler at all. Uh, My expectations in any Jimmy Butler trade was that the Bulls would receive back a top five pick of sorts in this draft, potentially a middling future first in, say, 2018 or 2019 and perhaps a younger prospect. So the team that was most obvious to have those sorts of assets were the Boston Celtics. They could have offered up a top five pick in this draft, which was pick three. They uh, had plenty of, plenty of first rounders next season. I wasn't necessarily chasing that Brooklyn pick, which probably projects to be a top five pick next season. But they've got a pick from the Clippers. They have a Memphis pick as well. So I thought maybe one of those picks potentially could be on the table. And one of their younger prospects. So... Jalen Brown, preferably, but even someone like Marcus Smart or, or whoever it may be, I thought, I thought that was a reasonable asking point for the Bulls to come, to come to an agreement with another team. Now I'm sure, and as been reported, the Boston Celtics definitely wouldn't have engaged on, t- on that sort of deal, which is kind of strange to me. But that was what I thought would be a fair return and one I would have been happy with. But obviously the Bulls didn't get that. They didn't get a top five pick. They didn't get a future first, and uh, I guess they did get a young prospect or two in in Zach Levine and Chris Dunn, but at the same time, those two players, despite what their future may hold, their value is probably at an all-time low, so obviously Zach Levine is recovering from an ACL injury, which he sustained, I think, February of the season, so he's probably another... Well, he probably won't be back until the end of the season, really. Uh, Rather, end of the year, rather. So he's still a while away. He appears to be running and appears to be back training, but he's still got to repair that knee, obviously. And and Chris Dunn, age 23, had probably one of the worst rookie seasons I think I've seen in a long time for a a player that was drafted so high and was touted so highly. Many had Chris Dunn being the rookie of the year, and as, as pick five in the last draft, many thought that he potentially could be the Rookie of the Year. But he was far from that. He was kind of disappointing, or he, not kind of, he was extremely disappointing for the Minnesota Timberwolves last season. So interesting that that's the the best offer that the Bulls could receive. And if we are to take John Paxson and Gar Foreman on their word, that was the best offer that they were able to receive from teams. So if that's the case, then... I guess I could sort of see why the Bulls would make this deal, that the fact that they wanted to pick a lane and finally sort of head towards either a rebuild or um, I I won't call it a tanking situation because who knows if the Bulls are actually prepared to to fully embrace the tank, but um, it's it's clear that they're looking to rebuild through the draft and and I'm hoping that means several years picking in the top three, but uh, it remains to be seen what they're, what their definition of rebuilding is. But in terms of the deal itself, I wasn't happy with the return for Butler. And I guess what made me more annoyed about the trade itself was it's essentially the same deal that was put on the table last season. So if you recall back 12 months time, think back to the 2016 NBA draft, Tom Thibodeau pretty much came to the Bulls and offered Zach Levine and Chris Dunn at that point for Jimmy Butler. And the Bulls listened to the offer, but they said eventually said no to the deal which I thought was the smart move. That was the right move to make at the time. But come 12 months later, Tibbs has come back and essentially put on the same offer. Uh, Zach Levine, Chris Dunn. The only difference really being here is the Timberwolves offered pick seven and in, in exchange for pick seven, the Bulls would give back pick 16. So it was essentially a swap of draft picks. So that was really the, I guess, the main difference between the two offers from last season to this season. And, it was clearly enough for the Bulls to say okay we we much we we prefer this this offer now than what what than what we received last season let's let's do the deal so to me that's kind of strange that they would have done that if if the offer wasn't good enough for Jimmy Butler last season it shouldn't have been good enough for him now potential uh, particularly after he had a career year and was an all NBA player and, and was probably a consensus top 10 to 12 player so very strange that this is the return they got. Very strange that they pretty much agreed to the same deal that was on was on the table last year. But the deal is done now. There's not much we can do about it. But yeah, the, the deal has been made. And I guess another uh, another amusing aspect of this trade is when you think about where Levine was drafted in the 2014 NBA draft. He was he was uh, selected with pick 13. And if you can recall back to the 2014 draft, that's when the Bulls took Doug McDermott or traded for Doug McDermott. McDermott was obviously selected at pick 11 and the Bulls sent out Gary Harris and Yusuf Nurkic to the Denver Nuggets. And it's, it's just amusing to me that that the that the Bulls probably had an opportunity to take Levine in the 2014 draft at pick 11. Uh, or they could have instructed the Nuggets to do that on their behalf. But instead, three years on, after he's torn his ACL, the Bulls actually traded their best player for for Zach Levine. So it's it's kind of a, I I guess amusing is the best way to put it. But um, I've got a few other a few other adjectives that I won't share on on my thoughts on that. But yeah, it's just it's it's just funny how that how how this this whole thing has played out. And if you think about Chris Dunn as well, the allure of Chris Dunn probably made more sense last season when he hadn't played a game. He was a he was a highly touted senior coming into the NBA, a guy that has that was meant to be a ready-made prospect, but obviously had a poor season. He uh, registered an eight point one PER and a forty three point two TS percentage or true shooting percentage. Which I looked this up on Basketball Reference before. There, there haven't been a lot of rookies that posted those numbers in their rookie season that have gone on to actually make themselves competent NBA players. There were a few. That were in that list that stood out to me particularly Draymond Green, Andrew Bynum, and uh, Corey Joseph, but they really are the outliers. The rest of the players n- noted in that list that I found on Basketball Reference based on those on those statistics there, those players never really amounted to anything. So Kriston really is a, is up against it. If he's a, if he's if he's to become a player, uh, he's really need to going to need to bounce back from those pretty god-awful numbers that he posted in his rookie season. And that's going to be a huge task for Fred Holyberg to extract some value in Dunn and and sort of redefine his career and and realign his career. And hopefully he can become a a, a competent starting point guard in this league. But uh, time will tell. So in terms of the value of this deal, I did not like it at all. It did not make any sense to me. But thinking about it, I guess, holistically, did the Bulls really need to make this deal? And I guess it's an interesting question and it's kind of conflicting for me personally because I was pretty vocal in, in my stance that the Bulls should definitely be exploring trading Jimmy Butler. I thought now was the time to make that deal given what is going on in the league with the Warriors and Cavaliers dominating both the Eastern and Western Conference. The Bulls' ability to find pieces around Jimmy Butler within that time frame to compete not necessarily for a championship, but even for a top three seed in the East, is, was pretty pretty remote given given the lack of assets they had in terms of future draft picks. They didn't really have any younger players on the roster that looked like they're shaping up to be quality players. And the majority of their cap space was consumed by Rondo and Wade. And, and it was looking like it was shaping up, like both of them would be returning this season, so or next season rather. So, the Bulls weren't going to be much players or weren't going to be big-time players in this offseason coming up. So I understood the the concept of rebuilding now and trading Jimmy Butler now. But as I said before, I, I only wanted to do so for a, for an offer that made sense. And and without getting a top five pick in this draft as well as a future pick, I, I, I guess I just don't understand why this deal was made even though the concept of rebuilding sort of made sense to me. So... In a ways, I am conflicted. I do understand the logic of moving Butler now, but at the same time, settling for this trade—this trade at this point—I thought was the wrong decision. So, if this was the best offer the Bulls had on the table, then they shouldn't have—they shouldn't have made the trade. And that—that that to me is as simple as that. From there, on, there, that point onwards, they should have kept Jimmy Butler and decided to 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 push towards building a team around him that would potentially have a remote chance of being a top three team in the East. If that wasn't possible, then maybe try to build the best team around him by putting some shooting around Jimmy Butler, allowing him to be a dominant ball hander and trying to get into that four, five, six sort of uh, spot in the East and have the Bulls competing for, for that spot for two, three, four seasons in the Eastern conference. I think that would have been a reasonable alternative, but uh, they've headed down the rebuilding path and, I don't think they've started on on the on the right foot with this offer but it'll be up to the front office now to navigate through this but I, I guess my another main issue that I had with this deal is the fact that the bulls really weakened their leverage in the trades or the trade talks with Jimmy Butler by by not committing to Jimmy Butler for for literally as far for as long as he'd broken out into that star role the bulls never really committed to Butler as their franchise guy and by doing so, they, they made it pretty clear that they were exploring trades for Butler. They, they said as much last off-season. They definitely said, said as much this off-season um, at the end-of-season press conference. So by saying that, you weaken your leverage and you make it pretty clear to other teams that you don't necessarily really want this guy here. You'll keep him around if you have to, but ideally, you don't want him and you will deal him. So by doing so, teams already know that you're not necessarily interested in keeping him and you're just losing or loosening your bargaining power when you come into a trade discussion knowing full well that you ideally want to deal with a guy. So, and with a player of Jimmy Butler's stance, you don't necessarily want to have that position in, in, in negotiations. For For lesser players that you don't necessarily want to keep around, whether they're malcontents or not, then I understand that. But for a prized asset like Jimmy Butler, you don't go around signaling to 29 other teams that look if you give me this i will I will definitely trade jimmy butler to you so I, I thought that was kind of poor of the bulls and to me at least that's my speculation as to why they received the offer they did for jimmy butler but um as i said the trade's done now it, it's it's been it's been completed there's not too i can only complain about it for so long i guess but um I didn't understand that concept at all. I thought they the way they positioned their their themselves in trade talks was co- kind of poor, and it kind of feels like as well that the Bulls have decided to to choose Fred Hoiberg over Jimmy Butler. I, I, there's no way you can convince me that the Bulls didn't make this trade in part because Jimmy Butler and Fred Hoiberg didn't necessarily see eye to eye. Uh, I know John Paxson denied as much in the press conference yesterday. When discussing the the trade itself, but I mean, if we if we just think about Butler's relationship with Hoiberg, it was obviously that coaching heart incident last season. They never really got on the same page. Uh, I think there was a, a a video doing doing the rounds this season on on Twitter and online of Jimmy Butler pretty much or Fred Hoiberg calling out and play, and, and Jimmy pretty much saying, "No, I'm not running that. Why would I run that sort of thing?" So. Clearly, the two had issues, and whilst it may have been amicable and they had, may have had a working relationship, clearly a, a Butler did not respond to Hoiberg as he did with Tom Thibodeau. So it doesn't necessarily surprise me that the Bulls have elected to trade Jimmy here and, and, and try to give Fred a, a, I guess a roster that makes sense with him that doesn't have a superstar that I guess have can have a control of the locker room um, over the coach. So... But having said that, even though that may be the case, it is kind of strange to see. Typically, the the coach will always be the scapegoat, and the players are the ones that are able to to, to get away with these sorts of things. Teams will always side with their players, but uh, the Bulls, in this case, have not done so. They've chosen the coach over the player, which is, uh, I guess, kind of unique. But um, Hoiberg is their man. Jimmy Butler is traded to the Minnesota Timberwolves, and we'll see what happens from here on out. But... Looking forward now, however, I want to focus on who the Bulls drafted at pick seven. And obviously, I mentioned before, they, they decided to draft Lowry Market in a, a seven-foot forward, power forward from Arizona, 225-pound shooting power forward. So he's a stretch four that can definitely shoot. Um, well, he's, he's he's actually quite an incredible shooter, to be honest with you, 42.3% on 4.4 attempts last season. He could definitely shoot the ball. Uh, whether that's in catch and shoots, off screens, pin downs, on the move, whatever it may be, his stroke is very, it's very pretty, and for his size, and to have that, to have that stroke at that size, uh, I don't see why his shooting won't be able to translate from uh, the collegiate level to the NBA. So. That's definitely Mark game. He's 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 going to be an incredible shooter in the NBA. I'd be very surprised for, if, for whatever reason, his shooting doesn't come on in the NBA. But in terms of of what else he can do, at least from what I've seen, I don't think there's much else this guy can do. And, and not initially, at least, anyway. I don't think you're going to see him creating in the post. He's not going to be able to take anyone off the bounce, I think. Um, particularly with, when he's matched up against smaller guys, they'll be able to laterally keep up with market and should he try to put the ball on the floor so I think initially definitely he's going to be primarily a jump shooter which will be interesting to see the bulls definitely need shooting and they need shooting in the front court not to mention the back court but uh, he he's definitely one of the best shooters coming out of the draft one of the best big man draft one of the best big man shooters to ever really come out of the draft to be honest with you so he definitely can shoot the ball but Offensively, I think that's going to be his main calling card, but defensively, I think that's where the biggest concern is with Markkinen. He's not necessarily the strongest guy, going out uh, around two hundred and twenty-five pounds, as I mentioned. But he has a slight frame. He definitely needs to stack on some size. Doesn't have a huge wingspan, uh, wingspan, and with that thin frame, and I don't expect him to be much of a rebounder or a rim protector. So. I wouldn't be expecting Markkinen to, to block many shots just by having a 7-foot frame. So defensively, I think there could be some problems with Markkinen. I don't think he's actually quick enough to necessarily guard in the pick and roll. And, and with so many offenses in the NBA these days operating within pick and roll, and pick and roll being the standard offensive uh, set, there there's going to be a p- bit of an issue there with marketing in terms of how he's going to be able to guard the pick and roll he definitely i don't think we'll be able to switch onto players maybe he'll be able to hedge for you know one or two steps and move laterally laterally like that but uh <laughs> if you're asking him to switch onto a guard i think that's that spells trouble so uh, defensively there's going to be a lot of work needed in marketing and in, at least initially, I think that could be an issue with him. I, I wouldn't expect him to be able to close games because of that, because his defense will just not be good enough initially. And I think at this point, he's pretty much going to be just a power forward. I don't think his body's big enough to withstand playing center against some of the bigger bodies in the NBA. And even when facing smaller units, I don't think he's going to be quick enough necessarily to to uh, handle the centers that the NBA have um you know you think about to the finals and you and you saw guys like kevin durant lebron james playing center i think the nba is going to be moving in that direction to the point where marken and trying to guard those guys be it a power forward or center i think that's going to be a bit of an issue so offensively i think there's something to work with there with marketing but defensively is going to be a problem but probably the easiest way to think about marketing and rather than going through every, every trait that he has, it's, the, the simplest way, I guess, is to make a comparison of sorts of the type of player marketing is versus potentially the type of player he can be and, and trying to find an NBA comparison at the moment. And I've seen a few, a few different comparisons. I think ESPN mentioned Channing Frye and I can understand that logic. A, a big seven-footer that shoots threes, I, I kind of get that. I've seen... Other projections that say his ceiling is very Ryan Anderson esque. I got. I kind of get that. Anderson's a bit smaller, probably better in the post, probably a better rebounder as well. But I understand that comparison. Oh, <laughs> I've seen a few dirt comparisons as well, which is ridiculous. But uh, you, every time you see a white European who's uh, a seven footer that likes to shoot, I guess the dirt comparison will always come out. But Uh, Markinen definitely is not Turk Nowitzki so I think we can rule that one out but I guess the way I've sort of come to compare him and and think about Markkinen is and this won't sound like a compliment but uh, I'm thinking Frank Kaminsky but as a better athlete a more fluid athlete someone that will definitely have a better career than uh, than what Frank Frank Kaminsky probably is projected to do in the NBA at the moment but if we if we think about their sort of roles and where they likely project to be, it's it's a, as a sixth man, a shooter off the bench, who can come in and change games with their shooting. And I think Mark, in, in, in relative to Kaminsky, is definitely going to be a far better shooter. But in terms of role, I think that's where he'll be, and he's going to be a far more fluid athlete, a better athlete than Kaminsky. But that's where i eventually see him and to be honest with you if he can if he can develop into a sixth man who can come in and, and average you know let's call it anywhere between 10 to 12 points and six rebounds a game whilst pre- uh, providing adequate floor spacing i think that's a good player it's it's definitely a good player to have but whether you want more from a pick 7 than that uh, i'm not too sure if that's necessarily realistic but if you can you can if you can get yourself a guy that can slot in as a six man and can give you 12 points and six boards on you know some really incredible shooting then i think that's there's a good player in marketing as i mentioned before but time will tell we'll see what happens uh there is definitely going to be a lot of development needed in marketing and i guess that's now fred hoiberg's biggest concern but apart from marketing the bulls were slated to have a second round pick, Um, that was of course until they sold it for cash to the Golden State Warriors, so to recap that move, the Bulls had a second round pick which they acquired from the Sacramento Kings, so that pick actually came about from the Lol Deng trade back in 2014, Uh, well it was 2013, I don't recall exactly, I've got 2014 in my head for some reason, but that that vaunted Kings pick, which we thought was going to convert into a first-round pick for several years there, it never did, and, and eventually converted into a second-round pick, and the Bulls had that for 2017, but they used it to select Jordan Bell, which initially I thought was actually a good move. That was, to me at least, the first good move that they made uh, on draft night, but <laughs> as I was celebrating that trade, pretty much as it happened, one minute later, I, I saw a tweet that said that the Bulls had traded that pick or sold that pick to the Golden State Warriors for $3.5 million in cash, which is kind of ridiculous when you think about it, particularly given that the Bulls only an hour and a half before had decided to go through the rebuilding route. Now, if you're a team that's rebuilding, and that's clearly what the Bulls were doing after trading Jimmy Butler, the concept of trading a second-round pick um, after selecting a guy that definitely had first-round potential you trade him to the team that just won the NBA championship for cash. That is just indefensible. It's a terrible move. You need to take as many chance on players, uh, younger players, as, as you can. And I don't understand why you would do that. It just It just makes no sense at all. Clearly, this was a financially motivated deal. It was not made based on a basketball decision. So it's, in, in that sense, I guess it was a very ballsy move something that we shouldn't be surprised with. But given all that happened on the night and how much I loathe the Butler deal, for for one minute there, I thought they had made actually a good decision and thought Jordan Bell could really become a nice defender for this team at the power forward position, potentially even at center when you can slide him down and play some smaller lineups. But you know, within a minute, as I mentioned, they traded him to the Golden State Warriors and I, I just couldn't believe it. And, you know, the fact that the Kings pick turned into a second round pick was disappointing enough, but then to have that pick momentarily be used on a good player and then sell that pick, it's just its just ridiculous. And in a sense, it's a bit of a microcosm of the gap that exists between the Chicago Bulls management and those of the elite front officers in the league. You think about the Golden State Warriors, they just won a championship. They could have been off celebrating and just chilling out, being very content with themselves, but they weren't at all. They're still thinking, they're forward thinking, thinking about ways of, of how they can improve their roster, despite having, you know, one of probably the all-time greatest rosters ever. They're still thinking of ways of how they can improve it. And and they come to the Bulls and offer them $3.5 million for this pick. And the Bulls just say, okay, well, you can, you can take him, man. It's clearly a financial decision. And it, look, it wouldn't be a surprise at all if the Bulls use this cash to sort of recoup uh, the guaranteed money that they owe Rajan Rondo should they decide not to pick up his team option. So that's clearly what this move was all about. And it's kind of disgusting, to be honest with you. So when you think, again, when you think about the, the elite teams, they're out there finding new, new avenues of trying to bring in young and exciting talent whilst the Bulls are selling draft picks, particularly when they're trying to rebuild. It's It's, as I said, it's indefensible, but... Uh, and in, in a strange way it's probably a worse move and, and a, a and a move that's definitely far more harder to justify than the actual Butler deal despite its significance being nowhere near as important but it's still something that's, uh severely bothered me let's say that but uh, I mean that's the draft that's the wrap-off of the, the draft but it's been run it's been won and, and I guess like as I mentioned before I can think about the draft and sort of dwell on it as much as I like but it's been done now and I guess the most important thing now is looking forward and, and where the balls go from here. And I guess we have to point firstly towards Fred Hoiberg. It's it's definitely now his time to shine. He's got himself a young roster, a roster that's I guess effectively almost like a college roster in the sense that the majority of the team are younger players. There, there's no voices there. I guess that should that should be larger than his in the in the locker room. He he should be able to control this locker room now. There there isn't a guy like Joachim Noah or Pau Gasol or Jimmy Butler there to to necessarily overrule him, I guess. Uh obviously Dwayne Wayne and Rajon Rondo are still there, but you know, at least they are for now. But it is uh, it really is up to Hoiberg now to start to developing these younger players and, and pretty much that's that's what the Bulls are about at this point. If you're going to go down the rebuilding path, whatever players you select you you, you better be sure that you're developing these guys. So he needs to, to make sure he's doing that. His coaching staff obviously need to be working with these players and developing their skill sets. And, and to that the front office really needs to support Fred and bring in probably more established assistant coaches that can work with these younger players and build them up into credible NBA players. If they don't do that, and the development period is going to suffer and this rebuilding period will just extend itself in time, which is something obviously no one really wants to see. But uh, that will be the theme for the Bulls. It'll be about Hoiberg, it'll be about development, and it'll be about trying to rebuild through the draft. But in light of that, I guess it sort of brings us to what the Bulls do with with Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo. Obviously, Wade has opted into his contract. He definitely wants to collect that $23.8 million that is owed to him, and I can't blame him for that at all. I think pretty much everyone would, would definitely take on that deal, but... It doesn't really make sense to keep Wade around for that money uh, on a real rebuilding team. He's obviously going to get that money, but he's now tradable. Given that he's opted into his deal, he can be traded, but I wouldn't imagine any team's going to want to take on his expiring $23.8 million at this point. So I think the most logical conclusion with Dwayne Wade is that he's probably going to be eventually bought out probably around January or February. Um, I don't see him playing out the season with the Bulls. The the team will negotiate a buyout with Wade, and he will at some point go and play with a contender, probably Cleveland at that point. So I don't see Wade staying around too long here, and that makes sense. Rondo, however, that one's a bit of an interesting one. I think there's there's definitely a case for keeping Rondo, I think. I think with such a young roster and... So many point guards or inexperienced point guards on the roster. I think it really, when you think about the development of these players, throwing these point guards into the fire who have to not only create their own offense, but creating offense for others, particularly when you think about a guy like and I think that is a big risk in terms of the development of these younger players. So keeping Rondo around and having him being a leader, as well as being a, a shot creator for these lesser players, these younger players, I think for this season kind of makes sense but at the same time it also makes sense to trade Rondo now if you can to a team that's trying to acquire some additional cap space. Rondo's got a $13 million deal but if he were to be traded um, sometime soon and a team were to I guess waive his team option they would only have to pay $3 million of that third, uh of that $13 million so in, in effect they would be gaining $10 million in cap space and By the Bulls doing that, they should be looking to get back assets of sorts. I'm not sure if they'll necessarily get back a first-round pick, maybe a decent second-round pick, whatever they could get, but it's better than nothing, and I think that's a potential option that the Bulls could be exploring for Rondo, whether it's just including him as a sole part of the deal or packaging him as part of a larger deal. That's definitely something they should be thinking about, but it seems like the Bulls will probably keep him around, that's just my guess, it's it's pure speculation, they have to make a decision on his deal by, I think the 27th of next week, oh sorry, the 27th of June, which is next week, so we should know in the coming days what they're going to be doing with Rondo, but I would expect him to stay around, and and if he does stay around, to be honest with you, I don't think it's necessarily the worst thing, I think he, he really gravitated towards the younger players last season, and and for whatever reason, the younger players definitely uh, established a rapport with Rondo. So I think there is scope for him to, to sort of be a leader to these younger point guards. And Chris Dunn, Jerry and Grant, and Cameron Payne, they're going to need someone to mentor them. And we, we can talk about whether Rondo is the best mentor for, for these younger Bulls point guards. But I think just throwing them out there and... Hoping they find their own way. I think that's that's a huge risk. So I definitely don't mind the idea of keeping Rondo. Which leads me to, I guess, the next point of who the Bulls have as restricted free agents. And that would be Nikola Mirotic and Cristiano Felicio. So again, I would expect both of these guys to return. The Bulls need both of these guys. At worst case scenario, if they don't want to keep them, re-signing them now... And then trading them at some point in the season would be advisable. You To let them go for nothing would be, again, poor asset management. And it would be, I guess, characteristically something the Bulls normally do where they they trade for a guy or they draft a the guy. Uh, it turns out to be a good player and they don't want to pay them their next deal and they end up losing that player for for nothing. Um, so I could obviously see the Bulls doing that with Miritic and Felicio, but I'm hoping that's not the case. They need to re-sign them because they are good players. And and like I said, if they don't necessarily view them long term as pieces in their starting unit, then trade them on and get something back for them. You're a rebuilding squad. You need assets, so trade those guys for assets if they're not necessarily guys you want to keep around. So I would expect M- Miritich and Felicio to be re-signed. And in terms of free agency, though, don't expect the Bulls to to go out there and. To, to put their names in the hats with guys like Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, they're not—they're not, they're not going to get a a big name star. They're not going to be chasing. I hope a big name star because it would be pointless. What they should be doing, and, and any smart front office should be doing this in a real rebuilding scenario, is taking on bad contracts, and in doing so, receiving again assets in the terms of picks or younger players. For those bad contracts. So we saw the Brooklyn Nets do this the other week. Or sorry the other day. When they took on. uh, Timofey Mozgov's remaining three years of his contract. That terrible contract that the Lakers gave him. And in doing that. They got D'Angelo Russell out of it from the Lakers. So the Bulls should be doing exactly that. They're not going to be a good team. For the next two to three years. Their cap space doesn't mean as much as what it once did. Good players are not going to go sign with the Bulls. Whilst they're terrible and it it looks like the Bulls are going to be a pretty poor team so they're not going to be out there signing big players come free agency so use that cap space to take on bad contracts and in doing so command good assets in return that way you get multiple bites at it and you can hopefully get some more players through the draft by doing so so that that's what I would be doing if I was the Bulls and I'm hoping they're at looking at the Lakers and Looking at Lowell Deng actually, and former Bull Long Lole Deng, and and thinking about potentially taking on his deal, and that would actually kind of make sense because the Bulls do need a veteran presence in that locker room, particularly if Wade and Rondo aren't there. And who better to have than Lowell Deng? And if they can get Deng and a draft pick from the Lakers, then take on the remaining three years of his deal and consume that into your cap space and get an asset from the Lakers so that's what I would be looking at the Bulls doing as well as potentially trying to sign some younger wings in free agency not necessarily wings that are going to be commanding Max money but guys that need a second opportunity and one I have in mind here is Ben McLemore he's 24 years old He he's probably not going to be re-signed by the Kings and who knows if he's going to amount to anything but He's definitely a player the Bulls should be having a look at because they need a talent upgrade and I guess if they're going to pay anyone, it should be a guy with some upside rather than a 30-year-old in this situation that they're currently in. So look at players like Macklemore that, that are young enough there where they're upside and there's potentially room for him to grow into into a good role player with this team, but I think the, the Bulls really need to target wings now because after trading Jimmy Butler, the only small forward on the roster is Paul Zipser. So, uh, if roster if it was to stay as is now, that the only the only guys they could really put through the small forward position are Zipser, potentially Denzel Valentine, and if they want to play smaller, uh, maybe playing Dwayne Wade at small forward rather than shooting guard. But that would be a pretty pretty small a pretty small lineup. So they definitely need someone at small forward uh, as well as. As well as shooting guard, and I think they're going to need to clear out one of these point guards. If they keep Rondo around, someone's going to be the odd man out, whether it's Jerry and Grant, Chris Dunn, or Cameron Payne. Given that they traded for Payne last year and he was meant to be the point guard of the future, and now that they've acquired Chris Dunn, I'm assuming he's going to be the point guard of the future. Jerry and Grant sort of seems like the odd man out, so maybe you could trade Jerry and Grant don't think you're going to get much for him, but at least you will open up a roster spot whereby you can go and use that on a wing of sorts. So that's what I would be doing if I was the Bulls. And I'm hoping that's the direction they head now as they embark on this rebuilding period. But um, time will tell. Let's see what they do. Uh, so free agency will start on July 1. Who knows what the Bulls will do. But uh, as it transpires, I'm sure I'll be record- recording some podcasts to sort of wrap up what the Bulls are doing as well as what's going on around the league. So it's always a fun time of the year, the draft and the free agency period. So here's to hoping that the Bulls are on a good path now, a path that makes sense. And let's just hope something good comes from this, this Jimmy Butler trade. As I said before, they've got a direction now. I guess that's that's the main benefit, the main pro of making this deal. And let's just all hope, despite what we may think of them, that uh, John Paxson and Gar Foreman can lead this team and navigate this team through a real bit rebuilding period it should be fairly fascinating how this all transpires. And uh, I'm sure we'll all be watching pretty intently to see how this all, this all plays out. But that just about wraps up the show. Follow me on Twitter at Mark and I'll talk to you all next time.